So, Lucy, thank you so much for joining me on the Make It British podcast today. Good morning, Kate. And it's after a few full starts. (laughs) We've had to reschedule, haven't we, a couple of times. So we're Mm. here now. Brilliant. So do you want to start with what your background is originally? So how how did you get into the industry? Um, tell us everyone, tell everyone what, you know, first time round Lucy That's James right. Andre. Tell yeah. us all about well, it. Well, um, in 1978, I uh, graduated from uh, Liverpool Polytechnic, as it was then, um, and uh, was offered a job straight away um, as a lingerie designer for Kaiser Bondor, uh, which was um, a subsidiary of Courtaulds in those days. And um, it was kind of like a high street lingerie brand. And because I had specialised in lingerie in my final year at um, college, um, and I, I was apparently the first person that had specialised in lingerie um, for, the, for their final collection, um, it got quite a lot of media attention at the time. And um, hence, I got a job offer straight away. Uh, so I graduated in the July and started at Kaiser down in London. So it was, it was a location change for me. Um, so yeah, I was in the heart of the West End in Bruton Street, which was fantastic in Br- Bruton Place rather, and um, started a designer there. Mm. Oh wow, very, very posh! Wow, yeah. Bruton Place, yeah, very posh. So this was really high end. No, 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 it wasn't. It was um, it was High Street. Um, it was High Street kind of. Yeah, oh, okay. it was Marks and Spencery kind of that that sort of thing. We we did a lot for Marks and Spencers, and we did a lot for Debenhams, and we had our own label as well. So, um, ah, okay. Back in the days when M and S that's would have made all of the lingerie in the UK. That's right. Yes, it, the, we had our factory in Merthyr Tydville, and there was um, there was uh, factories in oh, Liverpool wow. and uh, Derbyshire and everywhere. Yeah, everything everything was made here. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So that must have been quite interesting. Then coming straight from college as a designer, and then suddenly going into a role like that, which is really commercial. really commercial. And um, it was quite difficult, actually, because um, I'm, I've always been quite a kind of um, um, somebody who is um, quite innovative and uh, as a designer. And that was the that was the role that we were kind of taught at Liverpool because it was a, a very um, couture based um, education that I received at Liverpool. So when I was asked to um, to design, I thought, right, this is this is it. You know, I um, it, this is my own personal design. So I used to design and then they'd say, oh, no, we really wanted something like this. Are you a magazine tear? Well, that for, to me was like, <gasps> you don't copy somebody else's idea. <laughs> so anyway, uh, long story short, got around that one and and did as I was told sort of thing but um always had this um this huge passion to start my own business I mean this case of Bonda um job was was just to kind of to learn the the learn the trade um whilst I was kind of preparing myself because it's never great to go into business straight away um so I was meeting people and seeing how the the, the larger industry worked and I remember seeing a, an article in a trade magazine um uh, called, I think it was called Body Lines at the time. I think it's Underlines now. Um, yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Body Lines had this article about um, a boutique in Guildford um, that had recently been let down by um, a, um, a brand, or it wasn't called brands in those days, but um, a label delivered 
and it was coming from Europe, I think, somewhere. Um, and I was uh, I was quite cheeky then. I rang her up and said, you know, who I was. I was working for Kaiser and um, I was thinking of starting my own business and I could supply, you know, lingerie to her. And she was really receptive and she said, oh, do come and see me. I'd love to see your collection, blah, blah, blah. So off I went to Guildford, oh, skived wow. off for the day. That was <laughs> brave. Skived off for the day. Went in. How naive, the things that you do when I you're know. that naive at that at that yeah. age as well. How, where were you going to get it made? Uh, no, no, I, this, this was just the, my degree yeah. collection I was showing her. And it was just totally, yeah. you know, I didn't know what I was talking about. I just said, you know, I could do this. Um, so I had this first meeting with her she, and she loved the the garments that I'd made for for my degree collection and she really encouraged me she said please do start it's fantastic you know we need more um, m- more labels like yours um, and I'll give you your first order. Um, so I handed my notice in with Kayser and I went back to Liverpool I'm not from Liverpool but that's where I was obviously at college and um, I knew a lot of people up there. So I went back to Liverpool to start my own business. And um, it, it eventually, to just round that story off, um, I made a, a small order for her um, and uh, supplied supplied it, and she was very happy. So that's how it all kicked off. Um, uh, yeah, so. And where did you get that, that first mm. order? Where did you get that made then? Did you make yes, it Yes, I made it myself. did you get someone in the No, 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 it, I made it myself. Uh, it um it was only small it was you know two two of those one of those and something else um so it wasn't a a massive kind of uh uh thing to do so I did it from my um my from my sitting room at at home um but very soon I realized that um to do this properly and I did want to do it properly I set up uh um, an atelier so um working with the city council um, I found premises. It was an old office suite of four office rooms, if you like, above a game shop in Victoria Street in Liverpool. And uh, I got um, two years rent free grant. I got a machinery grant and there was lots and lots of grants and um, um uh, and all sorts of fantastic support in those days because um, Liverpool was uh, was really had well we were all at the still in deep in the recession and uh, they were trying to get people back to work recently the Paula works in liverpool which was a lingerie factory had just closed down uh, and so there was huge amount of unemployment so for every uh, young person that i employed i used to get um you know um some youth opportunity grant or something um so there was lots of support and um I actually only had a very very small team there was only ever three or four machinists and my right hand person that used to help me with uh, the cutting but basically we did everything everything from store the fabric buy the fabric cut the fabric pack and wrap after it was made etc and we grew things like that so um so I was in control of everything I never used to cut and make service at all I made everything in-house gosh wow yeah. amazing I mean that's quite similar to when I had my mm. my business in the early 90s when I left mm. college as well it's, you know interesting what you say about the grants mm. and the support that was available and how how it was easy to get to bring products you know to get them manufactured mm. in-house 
oh, how things then changed. How long did that business run for? And what was the catalyst for you then moving on to do something different? Um, Well, it was the whole of the decade, really, in 1980, because I had two years kind of, well, I had about a year and a half with Kayser, then I uh, then I moved up to Liverpool and there's always that interim period where you get things started and you do a little bit of an order and then you concentrate on getting things set up. Um, and there was, uh, you know, a few hiccups like a robbery and, you know, one or two other things like that that helped me on the way. Um, and um, so, yeah, I, I used to do everything myself. So I used to come down to London, um, have appointments stacked up through the day or a couple of days, see buyers. Um, and it was just knocking on doors, ringing up and kind of introducing myself that way. Um, and uh, it was tough. It was really tough at the beginning, but I managed to get a couple of um, small orders. Um, I can't remember who it was with, but it wasn't with the biggies. That came later. and um, it, Well, it must have only been about uh, six or so in that I was contacted by an agent um who was uh who was really good very enthusiastic and he worked for um leisure b um back then yeah and he was selling that i mean selling tons of it obviously because it was a different kind of price uh point to mine um but was had seen some of um some uh press and media coverage of me in in um, a magazine or something it may I can't remember what it was, um, but he knocked on my door and said, you know, can I help, like to be your agent sort of thing. So he was traveling around the whole of the UK and I couldn't do that. Um, he was doing London and the UK, yeah. just going everywhere. Um, and he got me into Fenwick of Bond Street and Harrods Way In. It was called Harrods Way In. It was on the fifth Wow, one. I remember yes. Way In. Yes, I remember Way In. I used to, I used to aspire to yes. shopping in Way In when I That's in the eighties. Right. Amazing. Mm. So, so from that wow. we, we grew with with this um, with this agent, and um, it was a it was a really good relationship. Well, probably for about four or five years. Um, so he he did all that, which which meant I could concentrate on on the the make, uh, on the production side, on training the um, machinists if they if that was necessary and just making sure that everything was okay kind of the atelier end um so yes so harvey nichols came along um fenix was going strong rigby and pella came uh and so did bradley's of knightsbridge a fabulous fabulous store um which is no longer with us anymore but um yeah she was a fantastic Mm. buyer used to give great orders so so that's how it started and then I um and then I found the um British Knitting and Clothing Export Council it's the lovely um uh, people that worked there in fact um that's right it did um and Lorian Davis um I think she's Mm. only just retired um was was there and um yeah I started showing (laughs) with them at the salon uh, in Paris, and I showed with, uh, in, in Paris every every year, I think up to nineteen eighty nine, right through. And I did a couple of other shows wow. as well, one in um, Dusseldorf, and I did New York a couple of times. So, do you want to describe to everyone what your lingerie looks like? 
well back in when, when I started the whole the whole thing was it my look was very different because I had come through the through college um it had been a couture kind of education um and I wanted to do something different and and very much at the time it and I found this even now much much later that um lace obviously lace and lingerie uh, is like a, a marriage made in heaven, and so therefore that is the that that is the similar item. So if you cut silk and you edge it with lace, it's going to look like a lot of other people's uh, uh, collections. I wanted to do something totally, totally different. And whilst I was at college, um, in my final year, I um, I started to work on edges, on embroidered edges, and and kind of developed um, an edge that was very beautiful for. A piece of lingerie that's how it sort of started so I kept that look um, so my lingerie is totally without lace and it it is design led it's it's very beautiful very different um, and the, and the, uh, the cutting is quite clever um, and there's um, you know degrees of difference in, in that way um, so it's very very fine rouleau straps um, you know fitted always bias cut um, with this beautiful little embroidered edge, which I've kind of, um, you know, developed since I've restarted again. But uh, basically, I'm using the same the same embroidery that I used um, way back. So what was the reason for closing the business in the late 80s? And what did you do before relaunching again in the 2010s? I, I had my, my own label all the way through the 1980s. Um, it was through highs and lows, very, very low and, and extreme highs. Um, and those lows are always cu coupled with finance. Um, it's always financing um, an, um, a, a business is, is the toughest, I think. Um, and latterly, um, I had a cup. I had uh, a, su a succession of two, uh, two individuals who were my backers. The first one didn't last long. Um, it, he, he turned out to be. Um, a kind of not very good person to be associated with, but the second person was great. Yeah. He was um, he was uh, based in Liverpool himself. He had a, a fashion factory and was doing sort of similar things. And in actual fact, um, we we shared the same bankman who introduced me to him. And um, so I I moved my premises, my atelier premises, to his factory. Um, and I'd, I'd kind of only had one person working for me then because I'd kind of, you know, so things had um, been pared down. And we we did a couple of trips to New York and got um, uh, a fabulous order from Barney's of New York. And I, um, I produced that in record time. They were so fantastically pleased with everything and everything walked out of the store. They were absolutely over the moon. and. Um, and it was then that um, this, the current backer um, had had seen the writing on the wall and had had said, "Look, you know, I think we'll have to come. To, our relationship will have to come to an end, as it were." So I'd started to break on in the in the studio. I had accepted a, a full time job in education because I had been part time once one day a week, more or less, all the way through the eighties, with various colleges. Um, uh, some in London and some um, and, and some up north and some in the Midlands, um, but I'd have been offered a job in Manchester at Manchester Polytechnic, 
where I had been part-time. And um, I decided at the end of the 80s to accept that position because I was exhausted. Um, I owed quite a lot of money and I just needed some stability and some time to kind of regenerate myself. Um, and, um, and yeah, but just as I was breaking down the studio that we used to get, I used to get some phone call, called into the office, the main office for a phone call. And it, and it was the Barney's buyer on the phone calling me from Paris saying, Oh, hi, I'm in Paris. Um, is there any, can I see your new line? I'd love to see your new line. Can you come over to Paris? And I, and I had to tell her, oh, I'm sorry, I'm closing the business. It's such a shame. And, oh, God, it was just awful. And I couldn't look at lingerie for about 20 years. I didn't look at lingerie. I didn't want to know about lingerie. I didn't want to know. It's oh. so sad. Um, <laughs> oh, no, it is sad, Lucy. I wonder whether some of the issue, because you've talked about all these, these stores yeah. that you work with, back then – was your business, it was all wholesale, yes. was it? What sort of margins were you looking at and markup working with those big retailers back then in the 80s? And how did you make that work? Or maybe not, as the case may be. Not to decry my education at all, but we didn't, it, we didn't have a lot of business education back then in the, seven, in, in the 70s. Um, it was more concentrated on and creation and design. Um, but I do know that the retail stores back then, Harvey Nicks, Harrods, all of those um, department stores worked with a 2.7 um, markup. And so I had to, um, so my prices had to fit in with that. Um, but when I see, when I look back at my own, my old press release, uh, my old press cuttings, I see that, um, you know garments were selling for about 60 pounds 75 pounds which are now selling for 315 but it, it's similar actually if you go if you try if you you know neg um calculate how much 75 quid was back in 1980 uh it's it's quite a lot of money but um no i i wasn't great business-wise then um but um uh so yeah, we, I, it was just a lot of um, wishing and a lot of luck, really. Um, but I but I managed for for that yeah. decade anyway. Um, you know, without yeah, you you survived for longer <laughs> than I did. I mean, our business was the was the same. I was exactly yeah. the same. I went to middle oh, school, and right. again, great, for, yeah, great for um, you know design and and teaching you to be the yes. best designer yeah. you can be. But the business no there was no business teaching at all you had to muddle through and work exactly. that out for yourself so you yeah. did blooming well to yes. last 10 years well Lucy. uh yeah but at the end of the <laughs> 10 years it, it was um it was quite um it was quite a thing you know and I I um had to work very hard uh you know to to pay that money back um which, which I did in the end um yeah but it, it's tough um but I think you, you know um uh, to answer the other bit of your question was what, what I did then was w went into education full time and what education does when you go into it full time and especially when you find you like it, um, it sucks you in and it sucks you in and it and it makes you, you, you know, want to climb the ladder and it, you it, and yeah, 27 years later. I said I, at the end of a contract, I decided you to uh, do it all over again. 
So do you want to talk about then how has it been different this time around? So you said you relaunched Lucy Jones mm. Lingerie in 2018. So just a just a few years ago. How has it been different? What are the big differences and what things are maybe the same? Well, the, uh, the first big difference is that um, I don't, I, I do make the garments. I, I do make first samples and I make for private clients, um, you know, one-to-one. -one. Um, any e-commerce that comes in, I, I make it. Um, but what I had to find um, very quickly uh, is um, factories, you know, people that will make for me. And uh, that was quite challenging because um, I have very, very high standards of make and I had to find somebody, a factory or an atelier with that same standard, with those standards. Um, so it, it took a little while. Uh, that's why I, I, I kind of um, started in, 19, uh, in, in 2018, but um, it wasn't until 2019 that I showed with Make It British live at um, the Business Design Centre. Um, and... Uh, that was fantastic. And I got a huge order from Ray from matchesfashion.com. And I was absolutely over the moon with it. But I thought, you know, I had not got um, in place a production facility. Yeah. Production. I, I heard, Eek. I mean, I had seen somebody in, in, Lon in London, based in, uh, in London. Uh, I'd seen a couple of people because they, uh, one of them had made samples for me very very high standard but hugely expensive and didn't you know it wasn't production prices i couldn't i couldn't possibly use them the other one was a little bit mm, a little bit dodgy didn't quite come up to my standard of, of finish and it was through um through an um a friend who recommended um another atelier in somerset which funnily enough is um, not where i'm from but my family lives so i visit, visit quite regularly um that I found the most fantastic um, atelier down there and um, and did everything backwards. Um, and I think that's the kind of story of my life. I do things backwards. I rang, I rang them and I said, look, I've got this massive order. I know we haven't met before, but um, you know, can, can we, um, are you available? Could you make this? Um, and she said that she could. And uh, anyway, I don't know in the lap of the gods at the time because um, the relationship was really, really good. Her work was absolutely impeccable. Um, she taught me some things and I've taught her one or two things, <laughs> which was which was really good. And uh, she did this huge, massive order for me. That's... Fantastic. Impeccable it was. Still with the ruler. Still, still with the ruler. Because <laughs> that's yes. really tricky to do. Yes, that's something that I taught. Yeah. I, I taught her um, something about. Um, some of my uh, my garments have ties and little rouleau ties. So that means the ends can't be raw. They've got to be kind of finished. So I taught, taught her about doing it backwards and pulling pulling them through. And so that was a joy. But mostly, yeah, she she's fantastic. I think anyone listening to this knowing about rouleau loops will know how difficult that is to get that in yeah. finished and to yeah. pull it all through, and especially as they're mm. that fine. So what are the kind of big brand values of um, Lucy Jones lingerie? What is it that your customers love about you? And and who are your customers mainly? Are you still wholesaling? I am. I want to wholesale, but I'm building up my e-commerce because what happened with COVID uh, with 2020 I started showing in in Paris again uh in in the January and then 
I had an appointment with um, a couple of buyers end of January um, and things ticked on and, and then suddenly we were locked down. So the whole of 2020 really was a, was a year of research and development. So it was a bit of a backpedal really. And since then I've been getting on the bike again and, and learning to pedal <laughs> as it were. So you're trying to get mm. the balance right between still yeah. doing wholesale, but also now doing direct work yes, with the customers. Yeah. Yeah. So, so going back to the brand, the, the values, um, the values um, that I have are the same as they were um, back in uh, the eighties when I first launched really. And that is that, um, you know, one of them is a unique design, you know, everything because of the exclusion of lace I've got this unique um, edging that makes it look. Some people have said it's kind of minimalist, but it's not really. Um, so this beautiful edging lace, beautiful cut, um, um, bias cutting uh, fit. Um, so, uh, you know, so, so unique design, impeccable make, absolutely impeccable make. I think during the 1980s, and with all those customers, I never had one garment back with any query or question, which was fantastic. Um, personal service, of course, yeah. is is paramount. Um, personal service, whether it's uh, whether it's a wholesale client or whether it's a personal client, um, that connectedness, that kind of relationship building, um, is is very uh, next to my heart. Um, and with a little touch of the unexpected. Uh, in all of those values, I think uh, unexpectedness, that kind of, um, I, I, I guess you could call it one, uh, you know, a, an extra mile sort of thing. You, you go that extra mile, but but also unexpectedness in design and in colour choice and in things like that. Delighters, uh, if, if you think uh, that's probably uh, more apt. I don't know. I love it. I've seen some pictures. I think they're on yes. your website. I'll I'll have to get them from you so I can share them in the podcast yeah. show notes of your the photographs as well from your from your laundry from yes. the eighties, which are beautifully um, photographed. Did you work with like a commercial photographer to do those? And how have you found that it's yeah. different this time well, around doing doing the photography yeah. and the imagery? Um, I had a, um, in the suite of offices where I was in Victoria Street in Liverpool, there was um, other kind of creatives if you like, in that area. And one of them was a, was a photographer. He did some of those later photographs, but I used a commercial photographer before I, I met um, Peter. And that's a, the iconic photograph that I used, I think, for the Make It British Live um show that we did and we kind of uh, reworked it. Yeah, 2019 still, yeah. still sounds like a few years ago now isn't it the last yeah. show yeah how amazing though that you create a product that is that timeless and I think that's totally. what it's all about when you make in the mm. UK it is about things being timeless and that can that can you know the stand the test of time what what's the the advice you would give to anyone about how we can all buy into more timeless products, how we can buy less and of better quality, because that really is what making the UK is all about. Mm. So what would you, be your advice there, Lucy? Because I'm sure you've got a lot of students as well that you've oh, worked with thousands that, are, of... that are now looking yeah. more at that. Yeah, it's a it's a really, really tough one because you can you can give advice, you can say this, you can but but in actual fact, getting the industry to change is like asking a dinosaur 
to turn around on a sixpence. Um, and so uh, that that's why we have, uh, um, I'm so pleased that we have the fashion revolution and, um, you know, fashion advocates working hard to lobby um, the industry and to, and to, to help educate um, people um, because, yeah, it, it's, it's wearing your clothes for longer. This kind of buy it and bin it idea is totally and utterly wrong but if if you if you think about the supply chat the supply chain it's got to start right at the very very beginning um and so what those people various people who make our clothes must do is make you know more expensive clothes so make it higher quality maybe make it slower um uh, it's just too big a question really kate um but uh, I, th I think it, it is educating. It's just drip feeding all the time. And um, uh, how do we? Yeah, how do we get people to think I must buy something and wear it for ten or twenty years rather than buy something for now? I think I think lockdown has taught us maybe that um, because for a whole year, basically, there wasn't anywhere to go out to. So you could, no weddings, no parties, no nothing. So um, that's where this big kind of loungewear return has, has kind of come from and, and lovely soft, uh, softly uh, made pyjama trousers and, you know, all that sort of lovely at home. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, yeah. But I think that designers like yourself, the, you know, you're doing great things because you're what you're putting it in at the design end, i.e., you're not creating something that's just based on fashion. And it, it because it's timeless, mm. it naturally lends itself towards being more sustainable because people will keep it and and treasure it because, like you say, you're you know, it's it doesn't come yeah. cheap to have beautiful yeah. lingerie, but it really yeah, lasts. it does, it does. So Lucy, finally, then. So, Lucy, yeah. finally then, where can everyone find your beautiful lingerie? What's the best way of people seeing the the, the beautiful lingerie? Okay, well, the, the only way at the moment is by um, going online to um, lucyjoneslingerie.com um, and there you will see um, our shop and um, basically my whole um, brand story if you like uh there's a, there's an interview with myself there um that can be read and the whole story um and also i'm doing badger's velvet underground later this month in brixton oh yes i've decided yeah i've decided to do that um i did it um a year ago i think but it was in up in hampstead but this year i've got into brixton into the department store so i'm really really happy with that and i'm going to be standing next to a friend of mine who we were at college together um so that's really good but he doesn't sell lingerie oh wow he sells fabrics and uh, lovely blue and white what date is that uh, 20th Lucy? and 21st of november i might try and come along brixton's not that oh, far good. from me so i might come and, and oh, see you that would be that'll lovely be great and hopefully anyone else listening to this podcast. Yeah, that would be lovely. Oh, Lucy, thank you. You've been such a superb guest today, oh, Lucy. It's been so wonderful to hear you. You're your welcome. Story. Thank you very much for having me, Kate. Thank <laughs> thanks, you. Thanks, Lucy. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.